Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I want you to to think about your life in Christ for a few moments. Think about how long you've walked with the Lord, how long you've been a Christian. Some of us, uh, some of us haven't been a Christian very long. We just recently got baptized in the last 20 minutes or so, you know. Uh, some of us have walked with the Lord a long time. Some of you have walked with the Lord longer than, um, than even, I mean, I've been alive. And so I just want you to think about your life in Christ. And, and over the course of that season of life, just think about the number of times that God has, has spoken to you. It just got weird on us, right? Think about the number of times that God has spoken to you. Now, you'll likely think of a few common sources of God's voice. Maybe God has spoken through the scriptures. You know, God, you've, you've spent some time in the Word, and, and there was something there that, that you read that day or in that moment, that season of your life, that was exactly what you needed. It, was, it spoke to an exact situation. It spoke to something that was going on in your family or in your work or, or something along those lines. You, God, you, you know that that message was for you. It's always been there. But through the Holy Spirit, something just, just jumps out at you that, uh, that you needed at such a time as this. Maybe you've been there and, and there have been some times in your life where, where you've had the just very clear internal prompting about what you knew you were supposed to do. You know, you, you couldn't, there wasn't a chapter or verse that you could point to that said this is, you know, this is, this is what, what it says. But, but there were times where you have that internal settled peace where you knew that a decision that had to be made, a direction that needed to go, uh, you knew that those were times that, that it was clear that God was working, God was speaking, God was moving in your life. You, you maybe didn't hear God's voice, but you clearly saw God's hand. Uh, maybe there have been, been other times in your life where God has used other means to communicate. I, I think back to the months when I was really struggling and working through being called into ministry and, and how God used a combination of things to get my attention. He used the, the scripture, he used the church, he used individuals in my life to, to, to capture my attention. And, and all those things working together to, to direct my path. Of course, we also know that, that suffering is one of the ways that, that God tends to, to capture our attention. We go through a difficult season, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're drawn to our knees in prayer. We're, we're, we're compelled to, to listen more because of a difficult season in which we find ourselves. And hopefully we all have those times and those places, those seasons, when we could hear God's voice even when it wasn't audible or when we could see God's hand leading us through, through very difficult waters. It, it may seem in our lives, that those are extraordinary circumstances. But the fact of the matter is that in Christ, God has done something for us to help us know his desire for our lives. And it's not just a once and done sort of thing. The, the fact of the matter is, is, is God has granted us the presence of the Holy Spirit to work in us, to lead us, to guide us. And, and it's not just a it shouldn't be extraordinary when the Holy Spirit leads and, and moves. It should be a daily part of our experience because God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. It's, and so I think when we go through seasons where we don't hear God, it's not that God's not moving or God's not leading or God's not directing. It may actually be that we're just not doing such a great job listening. We're not doing a great job of, of paying attention. We may not always be doing a great job of of surrendering. We just sang a song, I surrender 
all, not I surrender most or I surrender a little bit. We, we sing I surrender all. And so when we withhold that surrender, we, we sometimes can miss the movement of God in our lives. There's a preacher who told his congregation one Sunday morning, he said, you know what, I've had a, I've had a terrible week. I've not been able to prepare the sermon like I would like to, and so this morning I'm just going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit. But let me assure you, this will never happen again. The good news is, is God moves in the preparation in as much as he moves in the delivery of his, of his word. So we continue this journey through the Deacon Phillips ministry. We met him back in Acts chapter 6 as he was one of the seven who was chosen to help meet a real need there in the church. And he is, um, he's got the gift of preaching. He's not just the deacon who, who, is, who he works behind the scenes. Philip is one of these guys who's got some, some speaking and some teaching gifts as well. And thankfully, we get to spend more time with Philip than we did the other deacon, Stephen. Stephen, we meet. Stephen is a powerful figure. He's a great preacher as well. But we don't get to spend but a, but a brief window of time in Stephen's life. Philip is somebody we get to actually hang out with for just a little bit. In fact, the, the persecution that begins with Stephen's death ultimately drives Philip over into Caesarea where we find out Philip actually begins a family. In Acts chapter 21, we're reintroduced to Philip almost 20 years later. He's got four daughters who are walking with the Lord. And so Philip's got a, got a healthy presence in the book of Acts. But when you look at his life, you, you can't help but see a man here who is very much in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's very much listening to God's voice. He's paying attention to all of the different means that God is using to capture his attention. And Philip is actually a remarkable, opportunity, a remarkable example for us today to show to us what it looks like to really listen to God. Last week, we know that it was the persecution of Stephen that, that drove Philip out of Jerusalem into the region of Samaria. And while he was there, we saw last week, he was a powerful tool that, the God, that, that God used to, to draw people to himself. We saw the gospel break out of Jerusalem and, and into Samaria, and a great revival broke loose as, as, as many people were saved who had never heard the gospel before. But today we pick up in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, and we see that Philip is still a mighty tool in the Savior's hands for seeing the gospel expand even further than that geographic center there of Jerusalem. So if you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, I would invite you to stand with me if you're able as we read these words in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this was the passage of scripture that he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Philip, this deacon, this powerful preacher who is an example for us of how to listen. May we be mindful of the Spirit's movement in our lives, and may we be sensitive to the leadership of God the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We immediately recognize that we are looking at a very different situation here than Philip encountered in Samaria. In Samaria, Philip, he found himself preaching to a crowd, he even experienced kind of a little, a little mini Pentecost as the Holy Spirit would come upon the Samaritans. I read about Philip's experience in Samaria, Samaria and, it, and it reminds me of that town square that I got to preach in in Mexico where there were so many people who were eager, eager to hear what this gringo had to say. And so many people who were eager to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Crowds are exciting. Crowds are are energizing. Even if you're an introvert, a crowd communicates that there's something of value, something of significance. If you go out on Black Friday, I hate Black Friday, but the crowd standing outside the shopping center says, man, there's something going on here. There's something exciting going on here. You look at a, at a crowded football stadium on Saturday and you think, man, there, there's something significant happening in this place. That crowd communicates that, that there's, there's something people want to know about. If you're one of the few people in the world who actually enjoys public speaking, talking to that crowd conveys that you've got something that people want to hear, something that people need to hear. I'll never forget July 19th of 2020. We had our very first COVID scare as a church. We went all virtual that day, all virtual, which basically means you got to watch a recorded sermon of me preaching, and we pretended that was, uh, that was church. It was me in this room in front of that little bitty camera right there that we were using to film baptism today because it's the only camera we've got that I can operate without any technicians, without any engineers in the room. I remember waiting for the clock to tick down for the worship service to start, and I sat right there on that front pew, and I cried my eyes out after I hit that broadcast button, just waiting for the time. There was no crowd. There were no people there was no excitement. It was a sad day. But you look at Philip's story, and Philip's story is a pretty powerful reminder of something that's very important. We talk about divine appointments. Philip obviously has one. But if we want to keep our divine appointments, we need to remember this. God loves the one. God loves the one. You think about the parables 
that remind us of this incredible truth. Parables of the story of the, the good shepherd. The good shepherd left the 99 and, and he went to go find the one that it ran off. And from an economic standpoint, from, a, from, from that sort of thing, you think, man, why would I abandon those 99 sheep? To, you know, a tremendous amount of my, of my value is, is represented in this, 90, this group of 99 sheep. My, uh, 99% of my flock is right here. Why would I leave these 99 to go after the one? You think about the woman who lost a, lost a coin, just a single coin. She had 10. She lost one. Not a, not a tragic loss. She still had 90% of her value, but that woman turned her house upside down simply to find the one coin. And then, of course, the parable of the prodigal son, the one son that ran off. But the father was so filled with joy when that one son came back. God loves the one. God's concern for the one just isn't accidental or coincidental. When we look at the story of Philip and this Ethiopian, you have to realize how intentional God is in this whole story. This isn't an accident. This isn't a, a coincidence. God's intention here is, is very clear. We're told that Philip was led by, by an angel. An angel of the Lord came to Philip and told him where to go. I, I don't know that I've ever been delivered, you know, led by an angel. I can't say that I haven't. I, I can't say that I have. I'd like to think that if God sent a messenger from heaven to give me guidance and direction, that I would be sensitive to, to, that, to that word, to that voice. But Philip is literally led by an angel into the middle of the desert. One can make the case that Philip's reception in Samaria was just a predicament of the problems in Jerusalem. It's a product of what took place there. Luke doesn't tell us that Philip heard a voice telling him to go to Samaria. All we know is that there was suffering, there was trial, there was hardship, and Philip leaves and he finds himself in Samaria where there's a crowd of people. It's clear from the outcomes in Samaria that, that God was leading him there. There's miracles, there's, there's conversions, those sort of things taking place. It was clear in Samaria once he got there that, that Philip had a work from the Lord to, to accomplish. But we get to verse 26 and we find that God sent a very specific messenger to give Philip a very specific instruction. Go to the road that leads out of town toward Gaza. Now, I don't know much about the road to Gaza, but we're told that it's a desert place. Now, if God said, I need you to go to this desert place where nobody lives, there's no gas stations, there's Dollar General hadn't even got there yet, what would you say? Uh, Lord, not to second guess you here, but, but there's a great work going on here. People are getting saved. There's a, there's a crowd in Samaria. There's a, a church plant. First Baptist Samaria, it needs to get running. There's a lot happening here, Lord. Why would you send me to the desert road? All that is is a wide spot in the interstate. Why there, Lord? Up until this point, Acts has been all about the crowds, hasn't it? Thousands getting saved in Jerusalem, a crowd of Samaritans getting saved. It's been by the hundreds and by the thousands and God moving and God establishing this church. This time is different, however, because this time there is a divine appointment between a single preacher 
and a single convert. God loves the one. You know, up until this point, everything that's happened in Acts feels very inaccessible, right? I mean, we read this miraculous story, and and, and we have to recognize that it's very unlikely that anyone in this room will ever have the opportunity to preach to thousands. It's just probably not very likely. Uh, It's unlikely that, that anyone in this room will ever be given the opportunity to share their testimony at the company picnic or at the Christmas party in front of, of hundreds. Those of you who work for our larger corporations, you're, you're probably not going to be invited to come and share how you found Christ in front of your coworkers. So this idea of, of standing up and preaching and thousands getting saved seems this was an act thing. How, how in the world can we see that today? And we just feel in our hearts that maybe we can't. But here we are in Acts chapter 8, and, and there's something here that feels attainable, something here that feels like it's within reach, something that, that we could easily, any of us, could sub, you know, substitute ourselves in the story and feel like we could see an outcome very similar, a chance encounter, a divine appointment. Because we understand that God loves the one. We look at the crowd we count the numbers. We do it in church, too. You'll sometimes see members of our choir, a worship leader up here. Here's a little behind-the-scenes secret. If you see one of our worship leaders doing this, they're not just keeping beat with their thumb. They got one of those lunchroom lady counters in their hand that they're trying to conceal. And they're counting because we count. We keep track of things. We want to know how many were there, how many weren't there. We count the numbers. Even Luke does it. He's recounting the growth of the church in Acts. He, he tells us there's, there's thousands of people. But we need to understand that every crowd is made up of individual souls that have all made decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every crowd, whether it's five or 5,000, it's made up of individual people who've chosen to follow Jesus. You know, COVID has taken its toll on our crowd. But even with those who gather here today, we all have a story about how God grabbed our heart and drew us to himself. See, don't devalue the role of the one, that one conversation, that one conversion, because it might just be that in that one conversation that you're having, you're dealing with that one sheep that's gone astray. In order to keep our divine appointments, we need to understand that God loves the one. But secondly, we need to understand that in order to keep those divine appointments, we have to be willing to listen to the Lord and obey his commands. How easy would it have been for Philip to ignore that prompting? I mean, we could rationalize through that, right? Uh, imagine in a Sunday school class, if, if you've got a big Sunday school class and, and, and you feel something just tugging on your heart that says, you know what, we need to start a new Sunday school class. And, and you think, but, but Lord, look what's happening here. There's people coming. There's, all, uh, there's a crowd We've had to add chairs to the room. Yeah, but you need to start a new Sunday school class. Lord, that that doesn't even make sense. Philip could have easily rationalized this. Lord, look at Samaria. There's a church birth here. This is remarkable what you're doing in Samaria. It'd be so easy to ignore that leadership. It didn't make sense. 
in, in our minds to leave that incredible growth in Samaria. Philip is the, is the founding pastor of this thing. It didn't even make sense for him to leave. God says, go to the desert. And Samaritans are getting saved. Go to the desert. Lord, the desert road? Of all places, the desert road? I'd rather go back to Jerusalem. There's risk there. there there's threats there. I can, I can go out as a martyr. Why would you send me to the desert where there's nobody? It's not Philip, though. He's not a reluctant prophet like, like Jonah. He's not holding back. He's, he goes. He's eager. He's, he's ready. Philip is so tuned into the Holy Spirit that he leaves behind that which makes sense to pursue that which makes no sense. He knows how to listen to the Lord. And I love the fact that Philip doesn't even get full details of the mission until he gets there. Right? Step one, go to the desert road. It's almost like a scavenger hunt, you know, one of those scavenger hunts where you find a clue and it tells you to go look for another clue and you get to that clue and it tells you to go find another clue and you don't really know what you're looking for. You're just finding clues that lead you to the next step. And so step one, go to the desert road. When you get there, I'll give you some more information. Philip goes and here he is on the, here he is on the interstate. Nothing there. No exits, no gas stations, Nothing. Here he is on the interstate. There's a sketchy rest area there on the side. And nobody around. He looks, and there just so happens to be a caravan of people sitting in this sketchy rest area. Who's in that caravan? There's a foreign dignitary heading home. He's been in Jerusalem. He's been on a pilgrimage. And it just so happens that he's a God-fearing Gentile. He's not a Christian. He's a Gentile who follows Israel's God. And Luke gives us all the details on this guy. As they say today, we get all the deets on this guy. He is basically the treasury secretary of Ethiopia. And just as an aside, you, this is bonus points, when our Marxist contemporaries want to argue that Christianity is oppressive and racist and it's a white man's religion, just remember this, that the first documented conversion outside of a Jewish person was a black man on his way to Ethiopia. Keep that in mind. Long before Anglo-Europeans got saved, God was working in an Ethiopian man's heart. Don't forget that. Now imagine this. You're Philip. You're not a big deal. You're not one of the twelve. You're not the inner three that Jesus had. You're, you're not a big deal. Not too long ago, you were, you were a servant chosen by the church to wait on tables. Your current claim to spiritual fame is that you were chosen to help cook Wednesday night supper for the widows. That's your claim to fame. You're in the middle of the desert. You see a caravan approaching, and it's got somebody important in it. What do you do? You step aside. I remember meeting a, a colleague at the Varsity in downtown Atlanta when a presidential motorcade was coming through downtown. And so we got to the Varsity before they shut the roads down, and we just decided that we were going to stay at the Varsity until the presidential motorcade had passed and we were able to get back on the roads. So I remember doing this, and I won't tell you which president it is because I want you to pay attention to what I'm talking about. 
So we're sitting there, and we see the state patrol start coming through, clearing the roads and clearing the interstate. And you've been to the varsity. They've got that, that parking deck. And so we were up there on the, on the parking deck, and I looked at my friend. I said, you know, this is, this is probably not a great spot to be in because we've got a clear view of the interstate. I said, I guarantee you there's somebody with a scope on us right now. And so we're standing there. We watch the president roll through in his motorcade. I didn't run out to approach him. I didn't say, hold on, I'm going to go jump at the limo so I can, I can get a, a selfie real quick because I value my life. I didn't want to get shot. Here we are in the desert road. There is a high-ranking official in a caravan. Philip, if he were like us, he would step aside and, and, and give them the deference that they, that they would normally deserve. If you were in that position, you know, you might take a picture as, as they drive by, you know, post it on your, on your Instagram. You know, here's a selfie, hashtag guess who I just saw. It's not what Philip does. Step one, go to the desert. Step two, go to the chariot. What? Go to the chariot. At this point, you pause and you check that voice, Right? You make sure that that's the voice of God that you're hearing. And so Philip is obedient. He goes over to the chariot, nonchalantly. What you reading? I love that Luke describes it this way. We're told that he ran over. He doesn't hesitantly walk towards the man. He ran to the chariot with a confidence that only God could grant. So here is Philip the deacon running through the desert on a horse with no, no, that's a different sermon. Running through the desert towards a God-hating Ethi or a God-fearing Ethiopian who just so happens to be reading one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament that points directly to Jesus. If there was ever to be a fish shot out of a barrel, this is it. This is it. This is not some random coincidence. This is the mysterious confluence of God's love for this Ethiopian official and Philip's obedience to the Lord, which raises such an important question. How many divine appointments do we have in our lives that we miss simply because we're not paying attention? We've heard the stories. The long flight next to a stranger that led to that spiritual conversation and that conversion. The stranded motorist on the side of the road, desperate for help. The waitress at the restaurant, just trying to make ends meet. Our lives are filled with encounters with people that we may or may not know who may actually be searching for truth. This Ethiopian man was on a quest for truth he was reading the Old Testament, and as you know, adding Jesus to the Old Testament story brings it to new life, illuminates truth that was clouded apart from the Lord. And Philip, he was willing to approach this strange man that he never met, this man who was a different race, different ethnicity. He was willing to go to this man, different place in life, right? And he was willing to, change, willing to share the truth about Jesus with this man. It changed his life forever. As followers of Jesus, we need to be so in tune with the Spirit of God that we are listening 
for those quiet prompts in our lives that tell us, go to that chariot. Go to that chariot. Ask the guy on the plane about the book that he's reading. Ask the server if there's anything in their life that we can pray for them for. Ask that neighbor how their kids are doing. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to simply start the conversation. Simply ask the question. Simply obey the voice. Go to that chariot. You see, this is how God grows the church and grows his kingdom. It's through his love for the one and our obedience to him. What happens after this encounter? The Ethiopian gets baptized and Philip is miraculously taken away to another area. We're reminded about a couple things here. Baptism is for believers. It's not something we do just because. It's not something we do because we have a spiritual renewal. Baptism is a response to conversion. It's, it's something we do after we profess faith in Jesus. It's also clearly something that we do by immersion. We're told that they went down into the water, which is hard to do with a puddle on the side of the road. So we understand some things here that, are, that, that matter to us. But that leaves this Ethiopian to continue his journey, and we don't know anything else about him. He's done. He's gone. He's the secretary of the treasury for Queen Candace of Ethiopia, and he is on his way. However, the early church fathers did hear of him. In the early 100s, the church leaders were writing about the very first missionary to the Ethiopians, who just so happened to be the secretary of the treasury of, the Queen, Can of, of Queen Candace. Is that true? That's well, not in the Bible, so I can't tell you. But if it is true, then we'll find out just one day how effective this guy's ministry was when he left the desert road on the way back to Ethiopia. This is how God grows his kingdom. We may never know the full impact of our divine appointments. We may never know the waiter at the restaurant, what he goes on to become. We may never know what the waitress at the restaurant goes home and tells her children and what her children become. We may never know what that guy on the airplane does when he leaves our presence, who he may go and talk to. All we are responsible for is our obedience. Go to that chariot and watch God work. And Philip here reminds us, God's not altogether worried about the things that we're worried about. Philip, he's an equal opportunity preacher. He preaches to Jews in Jerusalem, Samaritans in Samaria, Ethiopians in the desert, random villages around Azotus and Caesarea. And Philip shows us here that God loves all of them, one soul at a time, one evangelist at a time, one conversation at a time, one sermon at a time. God loves the one. He loves the ones in your life. He loves the ones in your family. He loves each and every single one of them are we willing to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice to talk to the one Elon come up here for me for just a second follow around the around the church here 
come here. You stay, you stay standing. I'm taller than you, so this way, this way, we're worried about the camera. We want the people at home to be able to see you, okay? So, Elon, tell me a little bit about what, uh, Elon's a Christian, okay? She got saved, and, and God's worked in her heart, and, uh, and the stories I've heard of what's happened in, in the last few weeks in her life blow your mind. Um, so, Elon, tell us a little bit about what happened at, at Costco. Whoa. All right, children disclaimer. Don't go talk to strange men in the Costco parking lot <laughs> without your mom and daddy's permission. And hopefully they're on your six, okay? Um, what'd your mom think about that? She was nervous. <laughs> uh, I heard that. I thought, I thought, mom's on the spot on this one because uh, uh, we got a little evangelist here that, uh, that may need some help. So, so Elon, uh, Elon decided she saw a guy at Costco, and, uh, and, and was it a car or a chariot? Um, a car. Okay, it was just a car, okay. Um, but something in her heart said, go talk to, uh, go talk to the man in that car. And, uh, and she did, and it turns out that he, he, he didn't know much about the Lord, and, and Elon pointed him to, to Jesus as best as a second grade, right? Best a second grader could. Uh, have you been having other conversations with people since you got saved? Tell me about that. Yeah. Who you been talking to? My friends. Your friends where? At school. At school, okay. So at school, your teachers probably can't have these conversations, but guess what? These guys can, right? And you've had some friends who don't go to church, right? Okay, so, uh, so Elon's been busy inviting her friends that don't go to church to come to church, and she's been telling them all about what it means to follow Jesus. And so, uh, so Elon, you, you were doing just what Philip was doing here. So, uh, so that's pretty exciting. Are you nervous? Yeah. yeah, okay, you can go have a seat. Um, this young lady's heart got changed a few weeks ago. Uh, and and for her, uh, can you imagine what that old boy at Costco thought? I mean, my goodness, here's a little girl coming up asking you if you know about Jesus. What an incredible story, and, and my prayer for, for her and for so many that's like that is that, is that these hearts at this age that are so eager to serve the Lord that they would never grow cool that they would stay hot for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here she is. She's just another young saint that inspires each and every single one of us to do greater and greater things for the Lord. God told Philip, go to that chariot. Have that conversation. And a church in Ethiopia is there because Philip said, yes, Lord. What does your life and the impact of your life look like if you're simply obedient to the Lord? And it may not be that chariot. It may be a car at the Costco parking lot. But if you just say, okay, Lord, I'll do it and see what you can do with my obedience. What chariot is God speaking to you about today? Would you pray with me, please? 
Lord, I'm grateful for your word, grateful for stories of men like Philip and the remarkable feat of just being obedient and trusting you for the outcome. Lord, we understand that you grow your kingdom. Of course, we see in Acts, we see the, the, the sermons and the, the thousands of conversions. We know that happens. But we recognize that the day in and day out growth of your church happens when we will simply listen to you and be like Philip and go to that chariot, go to that car, pray for that server, minister to that person stranded on the side of the road. Who knows what will happen if we'll just be obedient to you for the one. Future generations may be changed forever because we're just obedient for the one. And so, Lord, in spite of our desire to have a crowd, to have the biggest church, have the biggest Sunday school class, let's not forget the importance of that one lost sheep, that one stray coin, that one son who's wandered off. Because it may just be that one that changes a generation. May we listen to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.